podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Welcome to Nesson Dorma, everybody. This is your weekly chat about 80s and 90s football with me, Lee Calvert. And joining me once again this week, like John O'Hare attracted to any club Brian Clough managed, is Mike Gibbons with us once again. Hello, Mike. Hi, Lee. How are you doing? Not too bad at all. And also with us is journalist, author of quite a few books, including his latest one called The Title, The Story of the First Division, which is out just in time for Christmas. If anyone wants a, a stocking filler for any friends... And for the avoidance of doubt, definitely not the same bloke who played right wing for Bristol City in the late 90s, <laughs> it's Scott Murray. Hello, Lee. How are you? Not too bad. Good, good. Thanks very much, everybody, for listening. Thanks for subscribing. Um, if you want to get in touch with the pod, we are at Pod on Twitter, and we're also contact at com. if you want to get in touch with us via email. There's a website, nessondormapod.com, and all that good stuff. So please get yourselves over there. Uh, please subscribe, please tell your friends, and if you enjoy us, please leave us a, a, a nice review. If, if it's something you like spending an hour of your week with, then please give us a little bit of review back as well. So coming up tonight, as we attempt to mine yet more nuggets from football's greatest period, we look at the defunct or forgotten competitions you may not remember or do remember and have a bit of a reflection on that. We're also going to have a very good long look at Kenny Dalglish's playing manager years at Liverpool, which is the years sort of 85 through to... 91. Uh, completely coincidentally, because we planned this a little while ago, but this is it this week that the Kenny Dalglish documentary is out? Have, has everyone seen Have you heard about that one? Um, I've had my head in the sand for the last <laughs> like two two or three years, so I'm afraid I couldn't tell you. Yeah, does it? T- um, I, thought, I think it is, yeah. I think uh, I saw some, some premiere of it the other night, you know, the red carpet thing. Mm. Um, and a lot of uh, you know chatter about it on their on that their Twitter. Yeah, so that's uh, a complete, yeah. as you can tell by Scott's reaction, it's a complete coincidence that we're doing <laughs> this this week. But uh, <laughs> but I'm sure it's it's probably looks like it's worth looking out for. It's 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 a documentary about Kenny's whole career, I think. But we're obviously picking up a very small part of it this week, and hopefully you'll enjoy that. So first of all, then what we're going to do is we're going to have a talk about a defunct competition, a bit about Liverpool, some more defunct competitions, and then more Liverpool, etc. So Mike, do you want to kick us off with? The defunct competition that you've chosen. Yeah, so I just I wanted to have a bit of a chat about the the European Cup Winners' Cup, uh, which uh, started in 1961, uh, was wound up uh, by UEFA in 1999, I think. I can't um, believe it's nearly 20 years ago since the, the Cup Winners' Cup disappeared. That's incredible. In my in my mind, it still was being played until about three years back, but obviously it wasn't. Yeah, I mean, I think you're, I mean, we all would have grown up in the same kind of era, I guess. Yeah. You grow up with those, the, the three competitions, you know, you had the, the European Cup and then the Cup Winners' Cup and, you know, obviously the UEFA Cup. And for me, I don't know how you guys felt, but the, the Cup Winners' Cup, it was always like the second one behind behind the European Cup. It had its own kind of, I don't know, cachet and glamour. Yeah, and, there was uh, an aura about it. The, the UEFA Cup was always largely a joke, wasn't it? <laughs> well, yeah, it's, it's good. Well, with the UEFA Cup, you didn't really need to win anything to get in it. I mean, with the Cup Winners' Cup, yes. you know, you have to win something tangible. Well, most of the time to get in it, we'll <laughs> come on to that in a second. But um, and it's a beautiful trophy as well. I mean, I remember thinking that when United won it in '91, it's still a 
a trophy and a victory held in really high regard, you know, by a certain generation mm. of United fans. They had, you had the old Mark Hughes story. It was a great redemptive yes. moment for him beating Barcelona. Cracking goal as well, from my memory. Cracking goal, that was. Yeah, he went round the keeper and just sort of wellied it in. And fell over. Did he fall over as he hit it in? That's what I got in my memory. Did he, or did he kind of peel away? I'm getting too detailed now, maybe, but... Yeah, he did a kind of little impromptu backward roll, I think. That was it. Uh, I knew there was something about it, yeah. Half gravity, half deliberate, I think. Well, the size of his uh, arse and his legs, it wasn't that hard to fall over, was it, really, Is he, if he got on the yeah. wrong side of gravity? Um, <laughs> and, yeah, it's just it's a real shame that UEFA wound it up, I think. I mean, it, it kind of it came to a head in the, the sort of mid to late 90s that it couldn't carry on anymore. Um, they, expanded the, nine... they expanded the Champions League, didn't they? That's well, what was the death knell of it, was it? Yeah, and just before that, I think 95, 96, there's 40, or there were 48 nations in UEFA then. And in 12 of those countries, a team did the double. And obviously, if you win the league, you go into the European Cup rather than the Cup Winners' Cup. So um, the competition the following season was filled with, you know, teams who hadn't won it. So yeah. there's a bit of a misnomer to go into the Cup Winners' Cup if you hadn't actually... <laughs> you know, won the cup. Um and then of course you had the expansion of the Champions League where, you know, two teams could get in and then three and then four and so as a competition it just got sort of squeezed between uh, between the sides really. Which is um yeah, it's a real shame because like back in the day it used to be a you know a precursor of um bigger things. The nineteen eighty nine final, which was between uh Barcelona and Sampdoria. Yeah. It was a kind of uh, mm. foreshadowed them playing in the uh, the European Cup final three years later. And there's also Gary Lineker played on the wing in that game <laughs> and wow. won a European medal. A lot of people forget that about Lineker. It's, you know, it's, I had forgotten you know, that about Lineker. So, yeah, God, right wing. Yeah, was, was Venable still uh, there in 89? Uh, he'd gone by then. It was, uh, so it was under Johan Cruyff. Oh, Cruyff <laughs> I fancy you were a right winger, Gary. <laughs> yeah, yeah, didn't take too long. Up. Also, um, Bayern Munich won it in... 1967, I think, with quite a young side, you know, Beckenbauer, Muller, um, mm. and those there, uh, Setmeyer. And it kind of, that was that foreshadowed that kind of great mid 70s uh, European Cup winning team they had. And it was also it was a really big trophy for Fergie as well. I mean, Ab- Aberdeen won it in 83. He beat Real Madrid, you know, beat Bayern Munich in the quarters. So there's a lot of clubs who otherwise wouldn't have had, you know, the big European night who actually got to have that night in the Cup Winners' Cup. You know, Man City had won it, Rangers won it, um, mm. Arsenal, West Ham. Mm. Uh, and it's just a shame that that kind of, um, well, I think anyway, that, that kind of avenue doesn't exist for uh, teams anymore. Well, it's, it's been kind of similar. I know what you're saying about the UEFA Cup was always, you know, the kind of poor relation. But I think it was sort of similar that you would have teams like, uh, Leeds, Arsenal won it in the late, well, when it was the Fairs Cup in the late 60s. Mm. And then uh, sort of Liverpool won it a couple of times just before they started winning European Cups. Um, it was just that it, the fact that they got rid of the Cup Winners' Cup and then re-nosed the UEFA Cup into the Europa League and you know explicitly turned it into a second-rate competition. Um, yeah, that's the sort yeah. of saddest thing because I think both the, the, they. For me, they fit together quite well. That you would have teams that the UEFA Cup actually did do exactly what you said the, the Cup Winners' Cup did, and it was chances for you know Fergie's career launched, like he said, mm. in the Cup Winners. 
Liverpool's European career was, you know, was actually nearly stillborn by the Cup Winners' Cup when they, you know, somehow managed to lose the 66 final to to Dortmund in really, you know, strange, unlucky um, sort of winning goal. But, um, you know, it took a while for them to recover. And also these trophies were genuine um, sort of consolation prizes as well. You would have, you know, maybe Ipswich Town winning the winning the UEFA Cup or Everton, although you know they never quite got the chance to yeah. to do their thing in the European Cup. But at least it was something. Um, and there's these kind of mini dynasties in the Cup Winners' Cup as well, because if you look at like Anderlecht, who kind of dominated it for three years in the late seventies. Yeah, there was a lot of uh, times where there was you know back to back finals. Um, Arsenal quite famously did it in the mid-90s. They beat Palmer in 94. Uh, and I think Ian Wright was suspended for that final. So it became a big mission the next season to, <laughs> get, get, to get Ian Wright back to the final. I think he scored in every round. And then they played the final in Paris against Zaragoza. And then they and of lost course, to yeah. one of the from the halfway goals. line and all that. Yeah. yeah. That, that always reminds me of people who feel kind of affronted by something that nobody can do anything about, like Wright getting injured. Do you remember... When United didn't play in the FA Cup that year because they went and played in that World Club Championship in, oh, South, yeah, in yeah. South America. And I always remember the, when they came back the year after, Gary Neville was saying, I mean, it was, it was either Neville or Nicky Butt said something like, well, we feel like we're defending the FA Cup this year because we didn't play in it last year. And it's just like, yeah. you cheeky bastard. You know, you, <laughs> <laughs> you're in t- you'd said you decided to take yourself off and not even played it. Then you're coming back and pretending like it somehow still belongs to you. Do you know what I mean? It's kind of... Yeah. So I'll take any chance of a goal at United, basically. So I apologise for that. Um, yeah, so there you go, the Cup Winners' Cup. So, yeah, it is it. As you said, Mike, you know, one, because the Cup was lovely. We always miss a lovely Cup, literally. <laughs> And yeah, there was something. There was something. It, it was better to watch this on a Thursday than U8 than the Europa League, wasn't it? I'll say that much. Yeah, I think because you had three competitions going on, and they were all they were all straight knockout as well. Mm. It was just a real. There was a real simplicity to European football then. So like one team in the champ uh, in the European Cup, one in the Cup winners, two in the UEFA Cup, and you know we'll just play it through the rounds until someone wins. Um, <laughs> Do you remember that simpler time when when European things were much simpler? Well, yeah, <laughs> just generally speaking. Do you yeah, I mean, I think the group stages is it really killed a lot of the mystique of uh, European football. I think, hasn't it? Well, it was the the, the draw that killed European football was uh, when Real Madrid drew Maradona's Napoli in the first round of. Whatever year that was, yeah, in the we late talked 80s. about that in an yeah, earlier, in an earlier episode. Seven, yeah. And it was kind of, you know, that was like, the point at which I said, "Hey, we're going to have to do something about this." And it was like, "No, no, no, this is the whole point." You know, yeah. <laughs> it just this might happen, and one team might get an easy run to the cup final, or they might have to play absolutely everyone. But that's kind of the beauty of cup football, and it's something that's been that's been lost. I worry if it's something that's slightly been lost to like a generation as well. You know, there was. Um, the, the, the sort of cup element that came after it was well, you've already you've already won a trophy, you've done the hard work, you're allowed a little bit of luck, or it could be terrible bad luck, you know, if you draw draw Real Madrid um, and Milan in the first round, but that's you know that's the way it goes. Yeah, I watched um, I believe in miracles the other day. You know, Forest and Liverpool great, played great, the first great, round. Yeah. Great DVD, it's just yeah. fantastic. 
But um, I mean, you wonder if they'll. I mean, the, the FA Cup's still an open draw. I mean, I know they were looking for like new and innovative ways to kill it every season. So <laughs> maybe they'll uh, maybe they'll see the draw one day. I don't know. Maybe that'll just ruin it forever. Well, imagine that the FA Cup group stages. Oh, <laughs> that's what I might jack in football forever if that happens. Don't give them ideas. <laughs> so there you go. That was our first defunct competition of this episode, the Cup Winners' Cup. And we will now move on to talk about Liverpool under Dalglish's player management years and come back to some defunct cups in a bit. So then, Liverpool, hmm. Scott, Dalglish, yeah. 1985. What was going on at that time? I mean, you'd be hard-pushed to think of a harder start to any managerial career in football history. I'm sure, I'm, I'm sure there'll be one. Um, but, I mean, of... The obvious thing he's coming off the back of the Heisel disaster. Mm. Um, and his press conference, his first press conference, I think he was barely out of his, his manager because it had been announced the morning of the game um, that he was taking over from Fagan. Um, so, do you, you know, that came, that was just straight in his injury. And, <laughs> you know, what yeah. a first thing to have to deal with. Um, but then in the wake of that, he had to try and convince Bruce Grobler not to retire. Um, and, you know, for all the sort of occasional mishaps that would, you know, befall Grobler, he was a really vital player um, to Liverpool then. Um, you know, they still hadn't replaced Graeme Souness. Um, there were persistent rumours that Ian Rush was going to go. I mean, that would... They would yeah. stave that one off for like a year or whatever. And let's, um, and let's not forget, he was 34 years old, which yeah. is nothing, and still playing. You know, that, <laughs> all yeah. of that would be enough to deal with for an experienced manager who didn't have to put his boots on every week and somehow still be a key part of the attack, wouldn't it? You know, as you say, he was 34. He was beginning to pick up injuries. Um, he was still their main player. Um, and this was a team that it sounds ridiculous, but like the eighty three eighty four team that won the that uh, had that treble season. Um, there was kind of you know it kind of looked as though the team was in decline. I mean, halfway through that season, Graham Souness had a meltdown after a game against Manchester United because um, he just thought Liverpool had you know thrown the towel in. Um, he said, "Look, United are going to win the league this year." Mm. Um, it didn't quite work out that way and Liverpool managed to win it and then put in, you know, their signature European Cup final display, I think, of of all their five wins was the was the win against Roma in, in their own stadium. Um but but it was a team on the decline and then soon as left. So he was having to prop that up as well. And, it's, and then, it's then of course at the start of eighty six uh eighty five, eighty six Man, you go and win win the first ten games. So, you know the pressure was really on him right from the start. And when you look at that squad from that eighty five, I think it's easy to forget for people who are perhaps younger now, and also actually even me, you forget how small squads were then. Yeah, because when you look well, at that was... squad, you got two. You, well, the squad for that year was Boulder, Grobel, our two keepers: Ablett, Beglin, Gillespie, Hanson, Nickel, Alan Kennedy, Lawrenson. John McGregor, Phil Neal, then midfielders Craig Johnston, Sammy Lee, Kevin McDonald, McMahon, Mulby, Mark Seagraves, you remember him? Uh, <laughs> John Walk, Ronnie Whelan, then Rush Dalglish and a very young Paul Walsh. And that was it. That was the squad. 
Yeah, well, and I mean, they like they didn't buy anyone that summer. Um, they ended up getting Steve McMahon maybe a couple of weeks into the season. I'm not exactly sure when, oh, but right. um, but there wasn't, you know, I mean, if by contrast, like, I mean, I mentioned United's fast start, but at the start of the season, um, you know, Everton, Everton had romped to the title the year before, mm-hmm. and then they, you know, spent you know, best part of a million pounds on Gary Lineker, who was, you know, the big English football's big star striker, um, you know, up and coming, about to hit his, you know, his sort of imperial phase. So it was kind of, well, is anyone going to stop stop Everton? And then you had United up on the rails. This is off the back of Liverpool, um, you know, just set Heisel aside. Um, this is the first year they hadn't won a trophy, 1985, for 10 years or what have you. Mm. Um, it was a. I think it's easy to because he ended up winning the double at the end of the season, getting off to a fast start. It was. It wasn't looking good for good for him at the start. What was the kind of key point in the season? Do you think was there one or was there a collection of key points? <sighs> I mean, I don't know. There was a. There was a few. I mean, there was an early Merseyside derby at Goodison. And Dalgleish scored within like twenty twenty five seconds, mm. um, and it was a absolute perler. You know, it was like one of those heat seekers into the diagonal heat seeker into the top top left, and that kind of that sort of set a sort of feel good mood when things weren't they weren't going badly, but they weren't going brilliantly. Um, but then you know they sort of stuttered around the end of the the end of the season he didn't play himself that often mm. um he had to deal with a sort of very truculent phil neal who like wanted <laughs> you know i, I didn't think just, I, didn't, it, I didn't think that phil neal had emotions never mind it's, well, never it's mind. probably the only time in phil neal's career that he wasn't going yes boss yes boss <laughs> but he, I, I think he refused to refuse to call dalvish boss he was the only one in the squad that um uh, that's said, interesting he, isn't it do you think you know, it's because Neil kept, thought he should have had the job or something or kept just... calling him Kenny yeah exactly I mean he thought for a while there was all the talk that it was going to be Bill Neil would be the next next manager to follow um, Fagan yeah. and this talk had been like quite a few years back from from when you know Paisley was thinking about move, moving out so um, so yeah Phil Neil had to go I think the, t- the turnaround there was a uh, like sort of late February um, Everton came and just—it like, was only two 0 but thumped Liverpool at, at Anfield, and they were eight points ahead in the league. And everyone thought, "Well, that's it now. Um, Liverpool are completely out of this. It's only Man U who were just tucked in behind Everton at the time that could mm. win this." And Liverpool's next game was live on the BBC on a Sunday, and there was snow all over the pitch at Tottenham. And Tottenham went one 0 up very early, and oh, okay, well this is this is definitely over then. But Liverpool turned it around, rush scored the winner in the sort of last minute distance, and that seemed to that was kind of like you know that was shit or bust for them. They mm. it was like they had to win that game, and that seemed to give them the impetus. They came from behind again at Southampton quite soon after to win, and then it was like you know. 11 wins out of 12 or 10th yeah, of 11 22nd of, of February 86 they lost to Everton and then they didn't then they didn't lose a game from the 2nd of March to the end of the season yeah it was yeah because 
Dalglish put himself back in the team. <laughs> it was as simple as that, was it? K- kind of, yeah. I mean, it was, you know, especially when they were stumbling around in the mid-season, people were going, you've got to play yourself a bit more. And I mm. think there was a he was being a little bit stubborn. And, you know, well, I'm the manager now and I need to trust my squad. But, you know, I can't do it all myself. But he kind of had to. What it I wasn't quite all, all himself, but, you know, it was important that he was he was back there. That Liverpool boot room thing where they always promoted from, you know, within. And that's that point you made about Phil Neal and all that kind of stuff and, and whether should Phil Neal have a job or Dalglish have a job. Was it always going to be Dalglish? I don't, I don't know enough about this. One. Is that, you know, were they shopping around externally or was it always it was going to be somebody from within the club? Yeah, it, it, it was, I mean, that sort of boot room thing, I mean, a lot of that was kind of myth. Right. Um, and a lot, you know, there was a lot of merit in in it as well, but I think it was it was a really strong thing. I mean, if you remember, even when Sunus got the job um, mm. after Dalglish, and although he was a big figure in Liverpool's history, um, there was a lot of talk in the papers. This is um, you know this is the end of the boot room simply because he'd come from Rangers. <laughs> He hadn't. He he wasn't at the club at the time. And actually, of course, he went on to physically dismantle the boot room. But that's but that's another story. That's another episode but, altogether. Yeah. yeah but... Um. Yeah. As far as I know, it was the talk was like you know who's going to take over. Yeah. Because like, I've never quite understood whether it, I've never quite understood what whether it was they looked at him and went, "We've seen something managerial in him," or is it just yeah. he's Kenny Dalglish, ergo he'll do a good job. Which, in a way, is kind of what they did when he came back, wasn't it? It's like, well, let's give it to Kenny. You know, he's not managed when he came back in whatever year it was, recent years. It was almost yeah. like, well, he's Kenny, therefore, it doesn't matter he hasn't managed anybody for 10 years. We're having him back. Well, uh, I mean, I'm probably one of the few people that would make a claim for his second um, spell at Liverpool being uh, not. Obviously not the success of the first spell, but it's a it's a qualified success. I mean, I think in both in both senses, he's um, in, in both occasions he stabilised the club, um, and you could argue that he rescued the club. I mean, Liverpool were obviously in dire straits after Heysel. Mm. Um, you know, it was really important that Liverpool had a feel good season, but contributed to football in a feel good way after what had happened. Um, but in 2011, I'm obviously not going to go into that too much. Yeah. But I mean, they were in such a state after Hodge and, and obviously the the reign of Hicks and Gillette that it kind of you kind of needed that figurehead. I think people missed the point a lot about you know sort of slagging him off when he took over. But it's, uh, he's a managerial dinosaur, but they just needed someone to pour a bit of oil over the troubled choppy waters as I drift off into the world of cliche <laughs> um, but it you know it was vital then it was extremely vital back in 1985 to hold it back to what we should be talking about yeah and when you look at the um, the table at the end of the year Liverpool won it with 88 points Everton was second <laughs> with 86 points both of them won 26 games and the key difference seems to be Liverpool drew 10 and Everton drew 8 that's the only difference. And, and obviously Liverpool scored a few more goals. Yeah, and Everton just kind of, just the momentum went at the wrong time for them. I mean, I don't think they 
they went on a huge run in the middle of the season. Mm. Um, huge low winning streak, but it just, yeah, it, it, the goals dried up a little bit. They were winning games 1-0. There was a couple of nil-nil draws thrown in, and then they, you know, they mm. lost it. They, 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 I mean, they were still, they were still in control um, until right, basically the penultimate games, Everton lost to Oxford, which was just, how on earth is this happening? Like, Oxford were sh- surely odds-on for relegation at the time, but they were they managed to pull out of that. And, um, and Liverpool won at Leicester, and Liverpool would always, you know, usually get beat quite badly by Leicester. Yeah, Leicester were a bogey team in the 80s, weren't they? Oh, they always, they always have been. Yeah. But they were a bogey team in the 60s, um... The eighties, uh, Martin O'Neill's side kept uh, k- kept beating them when sort of uh, can't remember whether it was Julier or Evans. They were sort of threatening to have a run at the title. You know, O'Neill's Leicester would just go, "No, you don't." <laughs> that irresistible Liverpool attacking thing in the late eighties was that when you look at the scores, especially in those that last run of games, lots and lots of goals being scored. Was that? Was that a kind of precursor to the later sort of eighties period? Do you think was it better then? Oh, or? in eighty six. Yeah. No, I mean there's a there's a train of thought that um, that Liverpool's double side is one of the not one of the worst Liverpool sides, but certainly one of the worst of their title winning sides. Mm. They were pretty kind of they were stodgy quite a lot of the time, slightly unimpressive. <laughs> um, but they, but towards the end of the season, they started getting the job done. I mean, there's a couple of big wins in there, but like that would be against, you know, Coventry, teams like Coventry Oxford, and Birmingham yeah, that were, Birmingham, yeah. you know, kind of struggling away. But they, you know, they would win away at Luton one nil. Obviously, the last game of the season when Dalglish pulled something out of the bag for them to win one nil. It wasn't, it wasn't sort of sparkling stuff. Till the end. Actually, the cup final, the second half of the cup final, Mm. um, is probably as good as as good as it got for that side because they suddenly just everything clicked after about sixty minutes of that game. Was that the game? And I've and I'm literally this is from memory from when I was a kid. Was that was that the game when Jan Moby played that ridiculous pass? He kind of walked out of his own. In my mind, he walked out, and I've literally not seen this you. He walked out of his own penalty area with the ball, kind of looked right and hammered it left about 40 metres or something. That's what, that In my mind, that's what I'm seeing. Am I correct? Yeah. He kind of um, just dictated that second half from the centre circle. I mean, that's what, <laughs> that's, that's what Mulby did on a good day. And he was just playing like, you know, daft reverse passes. Um, you know, that, a kind of old school quarterback. Hmm. Um, and just, you know, he would set rush wheel and Dalgleish away repeatedly. I mean, it should have been more than 3-1 in the end. Um, Rush was certainly clean through. He should have had his, should have had a hat-trick, um, but didn't, didn't get it. But, you know, that, that, that's, that's that side's signature performance, but it was a, it was a weird, yeah, slightly odd season. Yeah. You know, Liverpool had so many chances to win the double, um, in in their history, um, you know, you could stretch as, as far back as like eighteen eighteen ninety nine, 
Oof, we're definitely um, going outside of the time envelope with that one, but yeah. Yeah, or like, you know, they, they, they came pretty close in 1947. They blew the semi-final in, in, in that year. They blew the semi-final in 64. They famously lost to United in 77. Um, they, they would keep coming a cropper to Arsenal, I think, in the sort of late 70s, early 80s. Um yeah. So was then, it? So basically, know, of all, all, of all, all the times, you have all those sides. Then this was one you wouldn't expect to have given. Again, given the circumstances with Dalglish taking over, no, it wasn't. It was unexpected. The the double. Yeah, and, well, and doubly so. But you know, the end of February when when Everton had had won at Anfield, you just thought, well, that's you know, this is over now. You know, they can concentrate on the cup, <laughs> but um, but somehow just the pieces fell into place. I think a lot of people's uh, memory of that double winning team does come from that cup final, because you know it, it being one of the few televised games. Because I think the start of that season there was some um, there was some row about the TV deal that the first three months of the season weren't televised, so you had no idea, real idea of how teams were playing anyway. But I yeah. think yeah, that second half of that cup final, uh, particularly with Mulby, I mean, there's one through ball he does free in rush, I think, where rush goes around Bobby Mims and then. Craig Johnson slides in to try and steal the goal. <laughs> um, I mean, it just and you, I think looking back at that now, if people watch a review of the season, they see that cup final at the end. They they maybe just assume that's how Liverpool played for the whole season, but it very much was. I, I, well, my memory of it was that they just in the spring they just kind of they just clicked and got it together. League title races felt like they used to ebb and flow a bit more than than mm. they do now. Um, where it's just like it's got one machine-like stretch of dominance now a lot of the time in the in the Premier League, but yeah, you could um you could be in you know if fourth or fifth in February or March, and you can still come come from behind and win it. Where you know it just doesn't seem possible anymore. Well, I mean, there was one season Liverpool were twelfth on Boxing Day or something, and. Oh, this was when Bob Paisley was still there and ended up I think it was I think it was eighty one, eighty two. And then that was off the back of finishing fifth the season before the year Villa won it and people were really going, you know, Liverpool are over. And then they put together a run from the bottom the bottom half of the table, you know. I mean this would be like Everton going on to win the league now. It's you kinda of, it, as Mike says, you know that's not gonna happen in the modern Premier League. You have to get off to a good start, but Teams had a little bit more uh, leeway for a, a sticky patch, I think. It's probably worth uh, mentioning as, we, as we're talking about Dalglish. Did, did he? Was it? It was Dalglish that scored against Chelsea. I'm right in thinking that so. the last game of the season. Yeah, last game yeah, of the season. Yeah. yeah, so lovely yeah. for him. You know, lovely bit of symmetry that he comes into that awful situation at the start, and it's and, you know it's him, his his reintroduction to the team, and him yeah. scoring the winning goal. It's uh, but weirdly, then this would kind of come back to bite him on his uh, his well upholstered arse the <laughs> the, the, um, the season after, because when it didn't go so well, um, people were sort of talking about the double side going. Well, it's Dalglish the player that dragged them over the line. It's not Dalglish the manager. Um, yeah, that's interesting, is it? You really, you really can't win, can you? In that situation. No. So the eighty-seven well, season, then. Well, no, I mean it was. A, there's a game near the start of that um, of that campaign, which kind of illustrates how important um, 
how important Dalglish still was to Liverpool. That um, least the player way, or the manager or both. Uh, uh, well, the player, and this yeah. is kind of what um, you know crystallised this idea that he's still, despite winning the double, he still hadn't proved himself as a managerial force. They were away at West Ham. They were one nil down very early on to one of those uh, race race Stewart howitzer penalties, um, <laughs> and West Ham were all over them. But I say this with the caveat that um, this is maybe the first nine or ten minutes of the match, mm. and then um, but Liverpool are completely all at sea. They just lost the game at Leicester, um, and and then I think. Uh, Pretty sure because I was at the game, but it's a long, long time ago, and I was quite, <laughs> I was quite young. Um, but I think um, ha- Hansen went off injured, um, and Dalglish came on, and again just bossed the, just the change in the atmosphere around the ground, because uh, like you know West Ham fans were suddenly going, oh hold on, here he comes, and Liverpool ran out five two winners. You know, it, it was a big. It was a sort of big statement of of intent for that season, but it also, you know, this is how he's more important to them as a player than a than a boss. And then the season, I mean, they you could say they probably should have should have won the title. I mean, they were leading the leading going into March in the middle of March, but they lost the they lost the Littlewoods Cup final to Arsenal. Everyone knew Rush was going. That game was the first time Rush had scored and, and Liverpool, uh, you know, had lost. And then it, same thing happened again, you know, London buses style at Norwich a week after. And suddenly, like, the aura had gone. It was, well, Liverpool have lost a few games. Everton it sort of clicked into... Well, Everton kind of romped home in the end, didn't they? Clicked into... Four, yeah. Nine and, points, uh, yeah. You know, Liverpool just didn't... Didn't do anything on the run-in. They only won a couple of games. I think they only won three out of their last nine, ten games. Yeah, from 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 March until the end of the twenty-second of March, the end of the season, they lost five games, won three, drew and drew the last one. It was I almost mean, it, actually the, the massively positive run they put together at the end of the season of the eighty-five, eighty-six season. They had in the middle of this season, and then it all yeah. kind of fell away at the end. It was like almost like an op, you know. They almost switched around their form, really, based on the year before. Yeah, and it was because there was this sort of um, sort of end of days um, air around Liverpool because Rush was definitely had announced he was going to Juventus at the end of the season, and it sort of felt. And like Sammy it, Lee had gone to QPR. You can't, you know, <laughs> that was that. You can't underestimate yeah. what a hammer blow that was. A big hole to fill in the midfield. <laughs> um, but 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 it kind of was that you know this is the end this is the actual end although Dalglish is normally in charge there were questions being asked this is the real end of the Paisley Fagan sort of era that continuum Russia's got you know mm. Sunus has already gone uh, Dalglish is coming to an end as a player uh, Russia's leaving um, this is. This is it. Everton's taken over. Everton are the new, um, the new domineering force. And also, people thought, "Hey, Everton should have won the league the year before," which yeah, is, true, yeah. you know, which is a legitimate point of view. I mean, you'll know this, Scott, but I didn't know this until I started looking into um, knowing we were going to be talking about this. 
that John Aldridge came to Liverpool before Rush had left. People always assume the Russian money was used to purchase Aldridge, but actually he came in in January of 87, which is before Rush went, wasn't it? Yeah, and played a few games as sub. You know, they were it was that was quite wise. They sort of got him in and they slowly, you know, acclimatised him. The sort of thing that you would, you know, that would occasionally happen. Um, this was the same know, year it, that Steve Staunton came in from Dundalk for 20 grand. That wasn't a bad bit of business, was it? Yeah, it would have been even better if they'd kept hold of him for the 90s as opposed <laughs> yeah. to, yeah. Selling him to selling him to Villa. But... Um, yeah, it was it was kind of only one like I guess would you call it a high point? Like if if, if Everton had won the Merseyside derby at Anfield in April, um, that had won the league at you know the home of their great rivals, their old home. Mm. Um, you know it wouldn't have been official, I think, but they would have been nine points clear with like a plus sixteen goal difference. Mm. So it was like you know it would have been all over. Um, but Liverpool managed to win. It was the game that uh, Rush broke Dixie Dean's... Oh, he, actually, no, I'm wrong. He equaled Dixie Dean's record of goals in Mersey derbies. And it was the same game that Kevin Sheedy um, scored a free kick and ran about in front of the cop flicking Vs. Oh, yes, of course. Which yeah. is just, you know, marvellous. And it was kind of, you know, it, it was met with a little bit of shock and then just a lot of laughter and hilarity, and I would love to see the Twitter meltdown. I was going to say, I was just Something about to like say, can you imagine <laughs> if Twitter existed then? Good Lord. Um, you know, and like Sheedy was like, you know, afterwards as well, like, you know, would say, well, actually, it was just a spur of the moment thing. I was flicking the Vs. It was a bit of fun. I actually respect these fans, and I think <laughs> they respect they respect me. And there wasn't, I don't think there was a disingenuous word in that. I think it was, you know, I'm sure it was said with a glint in the eye. Yeah. But it was, it was a bit of fun, you know, kind of different times. I don't know, maybe not. But what, I, what, I'll, what I'll just say before, sorry, Mike. I was just going to say a quick thing on uh, Rush going. Uh, if you supported a club outside of Liverpool and you had designs on winning the league, uh, Rush going was such a huge thing. <laughs> it, it really wasn't, and, and to see to see Liverpool lose that Littlewoods Cup final, in which you know Rush had scored, and then they eventually lost two one. That kind of that aura of invincibility that that Rush brought to them, particularly when he scored. I mean, that was a, at the time that was a huge, huge story that Rush had scored and they'd lost, and in and in a televised Cup final as well. That did feel like it could be quite a seminal moment, but uh, it turned out not to be. I read, Ian, I read Ian Rush's first autobiography years ago, uh, which he obviously didn't write, but, you know, that was his first autobiography. <laughs> and at the back of it, there were loads of quotes from contemporaries about what they thought of him. <laughs> and Bobby Robson's quote was, I wish he was English. Yeah. <laughs> That's all he said. <laughs> but he was, he was relentless. But it's that, yeah, it's that point about the aura and the relentless goal scoring. Yeah, you just didn't know what to do with it, did you? But there was a weird thing about, I don't know if this uh, depends which team you supported at the time, but through, throughout the 80s, or certainly the second half of the 80s, it always felt as though Liverpool were, in, it, it was all in danger of sort of collapsing and the aura was going to go and there were so many points. I mean, there was... Well, I guess the whole 80s, I mean, there was when they came fifth in, in 81, when they didn't win anything in 85, 
when it looked bad in the double year in 86. They didn't win anything again in 87. There was a lot of points where people were thinking, ah, yeah, this is it now. This success can't continue because it was unprecedented. I mean, obviously, Manchester United went on to, you know, blow all of that out the water and supersede it in hmm. X number of ways in the 90s and, in, in, you know, the after 2000. But at the time, this was like, you know, English football hasn't seen this level of dominance. See, apart from maybe back in Victorian times, that obviously no one, like, you know, could remember, you know, Sunderland or Villa or whatever. Arsenal maybe in the 30s. But it was... yeah. There was a sense that they were sort of running on, running on fumes, and so, especially at the end of '87, which is when. So they won nothing in '87. Find out if this was the end of the era and whether the aura continued after we talk about some more defunct <laughs> competitions and leave you on a cliffhanger there for those who don't know what happened after that. Um, let's talk about defunct competitions again now, Scott. It's your turn to talk about one now, and and right from a kind of historically prestigious tournaments that we all wish still existed mm. again. I think we're going to talk about one that perhaps wasn't a prestigious, but maybe we all still, we wish still existed even more than the Cup Winners uh, Cup, perhaps. It was, yeah, Soccer Six. It was... Um, the Soccer Six. Mag- Let's explain what the Soccer Six is for some <laughs> people was, who may not remember it. Oh, it was magnificent. Um, <laughs> it was it was six-side football, um, and it was sort of at its peak of popularity in the mid to late 80s. Um it was just before Christmas. It was uh, it was transmitted on BBC One. It was on like it was on Sports Night. Um, That's my biggest memory of it. Is it being on Sports? You know, like Sports Night, they'd come on and go. Tonight we've got Rally Cross. Some really like <laughs> yeah. really inconsequential like bantamweight fight from somewhere in the northeast. And yeah. the Soccer Six. That was kind of, that was. I mean, God, I miss those shows. I can't believe they stole that on, but that was kind of that brilliant mix of random sports hosted by Harry Carpenter or something. Yeah, Tony Gubber. Yeah, yeah on, who looks exactly album. like the white bit off a of Spring Onion. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's really sad that I can actually see that. Yeah, <laughs> um, I know exactly what you mean. Yeah. Um, yeah, no. Well, that was a great thing about sports. I mean, sometimes they wouldn't like. I mean, they wouldn't show. Or they'd show. Oh, we've got five minutes of the European Cup final <laughs> between like, and it was you know great for like. like I mean, I remember '87 um, when uh, Bayern Munich got turned over by Porto in that amazing back heel by that Algerian dude whose name name escapes me at the time but it was a great final and it was just you know here's some brief highlights and now uh, the latest well, that's what England the... internationals used to be like didn't they here's some yeah, highlights was... of a, an important world cup qualifier on sports night yeah that takes five minutes and now and now bobsleigh from <laughs> you know from Lillehammer for three and a half hours to the oh god in, yeah. into this into this but you see this is this is one of the reasons why the Soccer Six was so much fun because it was, it you know it was all the all the all the big clubs would compete you know, Liverpool, Manchester United, Arsenal, Tottenham, Everton would all um, would all enter it, which is this jamboree just before Christmas, and it all like it'd be this sort of weird mix of like some of their up and coming kids. Um, so like Arsenal would have the first, you know, that's where I got my first sighting of Paul Merson, thinking, oh my God, this, <laughs> you know, this guy looks good. He's brilliant um, at bouncing the ball off the plexiglass. He's going to yeah. be brilliant when uh, he gets. Yeah, but um, 
but all, but, but but you know also they it would be the players that were trying to win the league title or trying to win you know or, or the, they might have some big league cup game. It's a bit like that back, Sky back. Legends series, isn't it? But with actual proper players in it who are currently yeah, playing football for professional teams. Yeah, and that, like that, I'll think about this. You know, the legends thing they have now. It's always like, what? He never played for Manchester United. <laughs> yeah. who's, who's this? And it'll be some dude that played that came on once. You know, I always remember like Liverpool would have Bob Boulder and go for for Soccer Six, and I'm thinking, who? What? Who on earth? I've never it? seen this. I've never seen this dude. I'm an, I'm an Oldham fan, and I'm, as you know, I'm contractually obliged to mention every episode. So, and, uh, and, I've, <laughs> and Rick Holden's autobiography talks about how it's just a brilliant way to make money when he used to ring you up because he used to play for the City team. And he go, "Oh, you want me to come? <laughs> yeah, no problem." Because it was just it was just a nice way to earn some wedge on a Wednesday night sort of thing. And but that that was the, the premier one. So yeah, the <laughs> soccer six. Do you have many memories of the soccer six, Mike? Uh, well, yeah, same thing, you know, sports night. And I think the the thing that kind of struck me about it was just um, that they would risk their kind of top players in a, in a <laughs> you know, in a in a kickabout in a freezing GMAX in, uh, in in Manchester in December. What and, about twenty seven uh, people watching? Yeah, I mean, they were they're you know the big clubs now. They won't gamble their players in the early rounds of the FA Cup. But <laughs> yeah, never mind that. Yeah. But, Again, I think it comes back to what we were talking about earlier about small squads. I mean, if you are going to put a team in, well, <laughs> you know, you've only got sixteen players. Yeah. So yeah, you're going to have to use some of your uh, some of your first eleven, I guess. But, it's, I mean, like, I it's, it's why I, when it went. Go on, Mike. Sorry. I was just going to say I can't remember. I remember, I remember it being brilliant and great fun, but I can't remember any detail. I can't remember who won any of them or anything like that. I don't think. No, well, this is the thing. It seems to be the tournament that it's the one thing in in the world of like all the things that have ever existed in everything which is quite a lot of stuff <laughs> in history soccer six is the one thing that isn't represented on the internet whatsoever and so like i mean i've managed to work out like oxford united won it one year charlton won it um luton thrashed liverpool in one of the finals <laughs> like that. and uh, i think forest won it there's some pictures of a quite young um, that Stuart Pearce, not far from his like, one of the, me- one of the memories I have dives. is Neil Webb playing in it, but I can't work out if that's for United or for Forest. It's for Forest because one of the squads that they um, they sent to the Soccer Six had Hans Seegers, Johnny Method, Webb, Franz Carr, N- Nigel Clough, and Ian Bowyer, and it's like <laughs> that's like that's most of their first team. <laughs> Like they're That's sending, mad. you know, as Mike says, in some, you know, risking their hamstrings in some freezing hangar in, <laughs> in in Manchester somewhere. It's it's kind of crazy. But the thing is, it was really popular and it was fun. And it, um, you know, as well, of course, this was an era when there wasn't European football for English clubs. So to have that, to have that extra little thing, mm. um, and you know, and the clubs took it seriously. I don't. As Mike says, the fact that you know clubs can't even be bothered to take the FA Cup or the League Cup seriously is astonishing. Really, was a different time, wasn't it? So, what about out there? Do you anybody remember anything about the Soccer Six? And have you got any anything on VHS somewhere that you can maybe get converted <laughs> and share with us at, at Nessundorma Pod on Twitter? Because that'd be really, really useful. Because that's what you'd be like. The thing is, I always wonder how stuff gets on YouTube. It's probably because somebody's got a digital converter for a VHS tape. 
But it must be that nobody's got any VHS tapes of the Soccer Six. It's amazing. They've obviously taped over it with Dallas or, or something or like got, that. Or they've got loads of laser discs. Just no <laughs> laser disc player. <laughs> That, that would be that would be like kind of you know going going to heaven with cigarettes but no matches <laughs> kind of scenario. Maybe. So there you go, the soccer six in the latest of our defunct competition uh, remembrances. Uh, let's move back to Liverpool after the disappointment of 1987. Things got a little bit better in 1988, did they not? Yes, yes, they did. <laughs> so um, let, let's start with who came in then. Because I think that's pretty important, really. Well, I mean, it's it kind of seems weird now that I mean the big signings. Obviously, like they they bought Aldridge and, and parked him for second half of the previous season, hmm. and then they had um, then they bought Peter Beardsley for a lot of money and John Barnes um, for a fair bit of money, it, but. He, Barnes especially was seen as a, a huge gamble. Um, you know, he was a very individual, uh, you know, talent. And it it didn't fit in with the sort of work team ethic that yeah. sort of Liverpool had built up for years and years and years. It did seem a kind of... Um, it's like you look back at uh, Bill Shankly tried to buy Frank Worthington once, and I think it fell through. <laughs> <laughs> and it fell, it fell that through seems like the, was out the, the strangest cocktail of people yeah. in a football setup you can ever imagine, doesn't it? It's it's astonishing, but it's kind of one of those. I uh, wish I knew how that would turn out, you know. So Barnes um, came in, Beasley came in. I didn't realise actually. I love Peter Beasley, and one thing I didn't realise was that that was the British transfer record at the time. Yeah, one point nine million for Beasley from Newcastle. Mike Marsh came in, and Ray Houghton. And then loads of other people came out. The legendary Mark Seagraves, unfortunately, went on his way <laughs> to City. John Walt left, Paul Walsh left, Lawrenson was finished, Johnston left, Ian Rush obviously is the obvious one. But quite a few quite strong planks of what, you know, if you ask Liverpool, if you'd ask Liverpool fans now, name me some players from the 80s, a lot of the ones that left that mm. year, they, people would be quoting, wouldn't they? Yes. And, and this was like... Um... And I think this is why this was Dalglish's first serious managerial statement. It was his big shake-up. It was his, you know, big roll of the dice. Mm. Um, and you know, it was weird. You know, you mentioned Beardsley was the the record signing. Um, he he didn't start that well, or as you know, as well. I don't as believe we that, Scott. I don't believe that's ever <laughs> happened in Peter Beardsley's career. No, this is weird. I mean, he didn't start badly, but it was kind of, it was all a little bit lukewarm for a while. It was really sort of Barnes and Aldridge mm. that came flying out the blocks. But the thing it, thing about this whole season is that um, I think it's all it's all down to Steve Nickel. And in the, <laughs> in the... I was wondering when we get around to the, uh, <laughs> to the Steve Nickel bit. Go on. Well... I mean, famously in the first game of the season, which was kind of, I mean, it wasn't ludicrous to say it was a title decider, but it was one of those matches that was going to set the agenda. You know, it was making a statement time. It was Liverpool visited Arsenal. Yeah. And it was a like Aldridge, Barnes and Beardsley all combined for a, for the opening goal, but Arsenal quickly equalised. It's a really good two and fro match. Luchazo was going to be a draw, and then 
Nickel scores a header from the sort of, the sort of thing Luis Suarez would do, like header from outside the area. Hmm. Um, and it was if it was it was one of those things. You at the time you're thinking, like, oh, surely didn't mean that, but there was. <laughs> There was no other thing that he could have been trying to do. It was just a astonishing bit of improvisation, a roll of the dice. It came off. Liverpool won the game, and um, he he then scored scored a couple. Of, like, Liverpool didn't play for a while because the cop had collapsed. The like sewers underneath the cop had, and they showed some footage of. Um, of them trying to fix <laughs> them trying to fix it, and there's just like a couple of blokes, like one of them with a fag on, blokes in hard hats, thinking, "Oh, should we put this plank of wood somewhere? Oh, maybe, maybe not." <laughs> and there's a sort of weird, like you know, would you compare that to like you know when um, Liverpool built that new stand last season or in the in the close season or they extended their stand, they would have those stop motion. Yes. Um, you know, cameras and the same thing they're doing at, at Tottenham now as they as they rebuild White Hart Lane. Yeah. But the, you know, the sort of the earnestness of, of of the modern game, whereas you know when it was on Football Focus, it was yeah, as I say, some bloke with a fag on going, <laughs> ah, yeah, I might do some work in a bit. It was a much more charming, uh, you know, en- engineering project. So I think you mentioned about eighty sixty. You know, wasn't the best team, as a lot of people say. Is this the, the season when the football significantly changed and came much better? Yeah. Well, and, and, and I mentioned, I mean, it's obvious that Barnes and Beardsley are the two, you know, hot talents in this team. Hmm. And Aldridge is this great um, goal scorer and one of those beautiful players who you know only has so much talent, but he's just getting so much more out of it <laughs> yeah. than he has any right to. He's astonishingly good in that sense, but like Steve Nichol is a is a great example of it because when Liverpool you know fell a bit behind in the early stages of the season because they didn't have any home games they had to postpone them all. Um, Liverpool go away and win four one at Coventry, and um, Nichol scores a couple of goals from from left back. Yeah, and then. Afterwards, um, they win 4-1 at Newcastle. Yeah. And he, he scores a hat-trick from right yeah, back. That's amazing, isn't it? A hat-trick from yeah. right back. But it's, a, but it's an astonishing um, performance, this, because he he scored his opening goal. He had a header cleared off the line. He had a good shout for a penalty turned down when he was bundled over. Um, he had another goal disallowed, this amazing sort of... a check and chip. He does that sort of pushkus Billy Wright frick <laughs> on one of the Newcastle defenders. And uh and, and that's disallowed. Scores you know, scores a tap in and then this amazing chip from a from a run down the down the wing. And you're thinking this dude's just uh you know when you look at him play you think he's just a lumbering yeah, fullback. Yeah. But he I was think- he was a, just for a couple of years he was an astonishing player. And I think he gave those real statement victories, especially the Newcastle game, because it was it was live on Sunday afternoon on the BBC. Um, it was a real shot across everyone's bows. You know, mm. everyone thought Liverpool were kaput, and then suddenly, I mean, that must have been quite galling to quite a few clubs. 
think, oh my God, we thought thought we'd shaken these buggers off. Mike's raising his eyebrows there. (laughs) Well, I remember that game very well. Um, And I think after six games, Steve Nicholl was the top scorer in the whole league. Um, you know, ahead of all the other strikers in the league. But um, I remember thinking, you know, how just how can they keep working their right back into scoring positions? <laughs> it, just, it doesn't seem it's what they, you know, there was no other team in the league playing anything like that kind of football. I don't think. And then I think, yeah, I think Scott says that the the Newcastle game was when you thought well, they might be onto something with this um, team because you always wonder when you when you buy that many players in an off season, yeah, are they going to settle down? You know, we we'll be able to you know form a, a team out of it quickly, all that kind of thing. So to change half your team effectively, and you know, it kind of hits the ground running like that. You kind of did get the sense that they were onto something. I think. And this was, and I suppose this is the point at which because Douglas didn't play. Did he play at all this season? Um, he might have uh, popped on for a couple. But of But he appearances. wasn't really playing at all. No. This is was like you said. This is the time we said, look, I'm not playing now. I'm just here with the big, the big coat on. And actually yeah. look at the football we're producing. And especially as you're saying, Mike, that point around, it's not easy to bet in a load of new players, especially across your attacking in midfield. And he managed to do it, didn't he? So there's obviously something in it there. I mean, they didn't lose a game until Everton, uh, Everton. at Goodison yeah. Park in March. Yeah. And then they lost to Forest, and then they just went back to winning or drawing. And, and what I say, <laughs> one with nine points, one by nine points with a, with a goal difference of plus 63. Yeah, I remember that. I remember that being a story of that season as well. Was it Leeds United's record they were chasing, Scott? Yeah, it was. Like it was twenty nine games in the twenty nine games. Yeah, of course, of course it was Everton that <laughs> that denied them. And you know, and this was. I mean, obviously, since then we've had like you know the Arsenal Invincibles, but at this point, like the Leeds record was like you know, oh my God, that's that was astonishing. It was quite a way better than any other team had managed before then. Just, so for Liverpool to be coming at it and looking to beat it was, yeah, it was a huge thing. And also, if you think about that goal difference, United finished second and their goal difference was the next best one in the league and it was plus 33. And Liverpool won it with a plus <laughs> 63 goal difference. That's what happens when you get your right back scoring hat-tricks, you see. That's the trick. Yeah. That's what we're all. That's what all clubs are missing out of, right backs who score hat-tricks. I can't imagine we'll get Antonio Valencia doing that. <laughs> <laughs> Hope springs eternal. I won't, I'm not going to spend too much time on the final when they lost to Wimbledon. We all know what happened there, which was because... Well, yeah, go on. I mean, it was, the only thing I would say about the final is it was just one of those games where um, winning the league too easily and too early, um, it kind of... Because even by the time they... You know, had lost this game. We've just been talking about to Everton. Everyone knew Liverpool were going to win the league. All all that was on the table was: are they going to break the record, the unbeaten record from the start of the season, which they didn't? Um, are they going to win another double, which they didn't? But because this was ten ten odd games into the season, if you look at the record, they they start losing a couple. They start drawing games they possibly shouldn't be drawing. It just it's it's all a little bit. They were just free wheeling towards the end of the season, and um, you know once they won the cup semi, um, was was really their only you know big job that they had to do. And so yeah, yeah, Wimbledon did a brilliant number on them in the final. So let's talk about eighty nine. Now I'm interested to talk about eighty eight, eighty nine mainly, be, and this is not meant to be disrespectful in any way, but the whole 
the, the whole conversation about 88, 89 is always about Hillsborough and quite rightly yeah. so. Mm-hmm. And, you know, but we're not going to go over that here again too much because actually I think what's forgotten in that or, or that a lot of people is, you know, what was, is what the football was like in 88, 89 leading up to that. Because some people might say, well, what difference does that make? But we're here to talk about football, I suppose. So what was the football like in 88, 89? Ian Rush came back. Yeah. I've taken a bit of flack about this online before in the okay. at the, at the Guardian. Um, I'm looking forward to this. Go on. <laughs> well, no, I mean, it, it's a slightly difficult thing to say about Rush coming back because he, you know, he won another league title. He, you know, won a couple of, so, you know, kept scoring goals in FA Cup finals, which was, you know, just one of those things he did. <laughs> um, and, you know, by most metrics, he was his return to Liverpool was a successful one. But I just wonder whether there was a little bit of heart ruling the head when they took him back. They got rid of Aldridge, and it just felt as though... And, I mean, Aldridge, I mean, in the context of 88-89, was still there. But just having to work Rush back into the team, it sort of felt as though this sort of precious you know, delicate ecosystem mm. had been tampered with and all. It's still quite a young ecosystem as well, if you're going to use that, if we're yeah. going to continue that, torture that metaphor yeah. even more. But yeah, it's a... <laughs> well, yeah, and like the mood kind of, it just wasn't, it wasn't quite the same. And I mean, it... So what you're saying is, is that the entirety of Liverpool's 1990s was caused by Ian Rush coming back from Juventus. Is that, <laughs> is, is that how we can sum it up? Um, I think that's how it was interpreted. Um, <laughs> hence, hence my... Uh, Vicious online kicking, from which, I'm, <laughs> which I'm only recovering. It's an interesting no, point, though, is it? Because, yeah, it is an interesting point to raise because it is assumed it's always, in capital letters, a good thing that he came back because of the metrics that you can use. But, yeah, it's, it's interesting to consider that, yeah. Well, it, you know, it was a huge, um, it was a huge boost and a big surprise when they, um, when they, when they brought him back. But um, it just never quite worked out. And I mean, he was injured and ill for a fair part of that, you know, start of the 88-89 season. So, you know, they had to work him back into the team. I mean, there's a weird... Like, Liverpool didn't start that well. They only lost, they only won two of their first seven games at Anfield. And I think by the end of... It might not be completely accurate, but... It, uh, by date, but by the end of the calendar year, they'd only scored 22 goals. Right. There is a point at which they'd only scored 22 goals. What happened? At the, what uh, happened? At the, Arsenal, by contract, uh, by contrast, had scored 40. What happened at the beginning of the calendar year that year in 1989, Mike? Can you can you remember what happened on the first of January 1989? <laughs> <laughs> remember it very well. Yeah. The, uh, yeah Sorry, well, yeah, Scott. The, yeah. The, the Fledglings, they're, uh, they're great claim to fame. So, uh, yeah, 1-0 down after 76 minutes or something like that, I think. Mm. And then I, I think we scored three times in six minutes. Yeah. And For those of you who aren't sure what we're saying, Liverpool lost to Manchester United 3-1 on New Year's Day. 3-1, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and, uh, yeah, for uh, you know United fans of that particular era, it was definitely a, you know, a straw to clutch at Well. uh you know, we were we were trying to rebuild ourselves, but um, yeah, quite quite a seminal win, I think, for Fergie. It certainly bought me a lot of um, 
If only well, history had been slightly different, Russell Beardsmore could have been an underwear model, <laughs> couldn't he? If only history would have been a kind, a kind yeah, of mistress. He missed, he missed time in his career, but I don't know, <laughs> five years. Some mental image. <laughs> yeah, isn't it just? <laughs> yeah, so obviously the Hills have happened and they lost the league in the end in that incredibly famous game. Uh, it's up for grabs now, Michael Thomas, etc., etc. And yeah. then managed to win the FA Cup. Is it that it's hard to, I don't want to dwell on Hillsborough too much, but I suppose anything that happened after Hillsborough, all bets are off in terms of form and everything, aren't they? Because where is your head at after that? Oh, well, exactly. I mean, this is the sort of thing that sounds obvious. Obviously, it's like just completely irrelevant. Um, but Hillsborough, I mean, before the disaster, Liverpool were actually on an astonishing run of wins and it just looked inevitable that they were going to win the league again. Um, Arsenal hadn't, you know, were beginning to stutter. They weren't quite getting it together. Mm. Um, but, I mean, even then, it didn't, it, didn't quite, um, it didn't quite derail them because they come back, they have that goal to draw at Goodison um, when they sort of, you know, come back to football, then they win the, you know, yeah. a very, you know, emotional semi-final. Um, and then they, you know, keep clocking the wins in the league, win the cup, yeah. set themselves up for the last game by trouncing West Ham 5-1 at, at home. But um, But it was just, yeah, it was just one game. It was one game too many. And it was it's just one of those weird things. It obviously wasn't inevitable. It didn't seem that at the time. People were just talking, well, Liverpool, of course, they're going to win this. Um, but in retrospect, it looks, it kind of looks as though, of course, that was how the season was going to end. And, how I don't you, know how, what, uh, and it's amazing how you, how you manage the, the denouement, to go back to Dalglish, how you manage the denouement of a season like this when you were trending, was it four funerals a day? At one point, so the story goes, it's 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 a remarkable testament to him as a man, really. So that was eighty nine, nineteen ninety. Um, we move on to <laughs> well, to sort of raise the mood a bit. Yeah. Um, this is when we bought Glenn Hussein. <laughs> <laughs> And, uh, and who was it between? You it was between signing Glen Hussein and somebody else, and you went for Hussein. Who was it? I can't remember. Uh, well, I think they wanted to buy Pallister. That um, was it. Yeah. And but but weirdly, United and Liverpool were in for both players. That was it. And yeah. United, I think it's fair to say, um, got the got the better of the deal. Although <laughs> Hussein signed for us first, Liverpool first. And so you don't think, oh, well, we'll go second best, we'll get Gary Pallister. <laughs> I mean, obviously that was, <laughs> you know, pr- proved to be a bit of a heroic victory for Liverpool, yes. um, that one. And so there was a weird thing that I didn't realise until um, researching this, actually, was that um, Liverpool uh, tried to sign Gary Lineker. Um, I didn't know in, that. In, in this close season. But Spurs got him instead. Yeah, but which was a bit of a cheeky one, obviously, as he'd been at Everton for twelve minutes in the <laughs> mid eighties. 
So again, yeah, Hussein comes in, and again, you you you, you win the title. It's it's just one of those seasons that it's it's sort of huh, you know huh, that's it. <laughs> nothing, you know, nothing nothing really happened. I mean, there's some weird in the sort of bigger picture. I mean, obviously there was a nine nil against Crystal Palace. Yes. Um, John Aldridge's last game, he throws his boots in the cop. Uh, Kenny Dalgleish writes a letter to the Crystal Palace players saying, like, you you didn't deserve to be on the end of a, of a you know, of a 9-0, 9 tonking, which is kind of strange. I think Steve Coppel asked, asked him to do that as a favour. Um, <laughs> That's so bizarre. And he did it. And obviously by rebuilding their confidence... Imagine uh, Fergie re- or Mourinho doing that. <laughs> yeah, no problem. I'll write that for you. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> They get repaid, obviously, by the cup set, which is really the only interesting thing that happened. <laughs> and you lost the Liverpool. finals of Crystal Palace, and then it all goes terribly wrong. That was kind of when, it, um, in, in a footballing sense, that's kind of when it all started to unravel a bit. For, I mean, you know, everything I sort of preempt with, obviously, Hillsborough is this huge thing, but just in pure football terms. Um, it was that 4-3. I mean, oh, yeah. you know, there was a sort of nice bit at the end of the season. They signed, it was kind of a tale of two signings. Like Aston Villa were the nearest challengers. They signed Tony Cascarino. He doesn't score for eight games and just lumbers around. He's just thinking, I've made it now. And I think he admits, you know, he just was swanning around going, ah, this is it. <laughs> the high life at Villa. I don't have to do anything anymore. And then suddenly realised he probably did have to score a couple of <laughs> couple of goals in the title run in. And then we signed Ronnie Rosenthal, who for like you know forty minutes or so against um, against Charlton Athletic looked like the sort of greatest striker on earth. And then when Sunis uh, came uh, along, he thought that that would he kept Rosenthal and so Peter Beardsley. Brilliant. Yeah, <laughs> bring it back, to Beardsley. Um, I'll just say uh, a quick thing on the. Um... The four-three actually with uh, Palace. I remember that at the time, and I remember thinking uh, that as that game was unfolding, that I just remember thinking, and I'm not trying to be a hindsight genius here, that, that <laughs> Liverpool were vulnerable in a kind of way that you weren't kind of used to if you're growing up with you know seeing them just being you know so relentless. Um, and to lose that game, and you know if, if they could have gone on to the cup final, Liverpool, you know they they could have maybe nipped. United's resurgence in the bud because mm. you know United were all over the place that season. It was only the the cup run that was really holding them together. Um, so it's, it's a kind of low down the league that year, weren't they? Yeah, they finished thirteenth. I mean, they only finished five points above the relegation zone. And there's all the you know the famous stories about how uh, close Fergie might have been to the sack. But yeah, it's a kind of it's interesting kind of sliding doors moment. I think mm. what might have happened if that you know that final had been between Liverpool and United. So, 1990-1991. Here's a trivia question. You probably know this, Scott, but mm. what in a kind of yin and yang scenario, right? Who were the <laughs> who were the last two signings that Dalglish made for Liverpool before he left? You might not know it. I'm just wondering if you do know. Does anybody know who they were? Um, it would be David Speedy yeah. and Jimmy Car- Jimmy Carr. David Speedy and Jamie Redknapp, I think. Ah, right, okay. So that's what oh. I mean about the yin and yang. 
It could. I could be wrong on the red nap thing. You, you're more. You're more knowledgeable than me. No, it could be, but... no. It, that, that could well be. Um, that could well be the case. I mean, 1991. I mean, Mike just mentioned the. I mean, the defence had been getting old. It had been creaking. Hansen's knees had gone a couple of years before. Lawrenson retired early. Um, there was a charity shield at the, at the start of 88-89. Mm. Uh, Liverpool played Alex Watson in defence. <laughs> and it's, you're sort of thinking, oh, I remember him. He I don't remember him, I'll be honest. He, I'm he, wasn't, all, he wasn't all that. He was uh, Dave's brother. Who, oh, uh, right, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> who Everton ended up captain, yeah. Yeah, who ended up not having much of a... A career in the in the top flight, but I mean, by the time 1991, nothing had really been done. Like the Hussein thing, sort of worked in the title-winning season, but there were signs that it didn't, you know. And then when Hansen was, you know, when Hansen went, um, I, in fact, I don't think he played. I could be wrong about. It, I don't think he played in 1991. I think that was basically the end of him. His just knees went, and he quietly retired. After it, so suddenly the defence was was a was kind of a mess, and I think that sort of um that panicked Dalglish a bit because we. Uh, sorry, I keep saying we on. on <laughs> no, it's fine. Are you allowed to be on partisan a, on this part? On a on a podcast, but like Liverpool, um, thrashed. Uh, Man U early in the season, and it was like the signs are good. Peter Beardsley got a hat trick. It was like Liverpool's biggest win for about, you know, 70 years or something over United. Um, but the defence wasn't quite right. Man City should have won at Anfield. It wasn't a very good Man City side, but they should have won at Anfield. Liverpool managed to scrape a draw. And Dalglish went super defensive in a game at Arsenal in December. And this was just after Arsenal had been docked points for the magnificent... Uh, throwing of hands with United. Uh, <laughs> highly entertaining, you know, more of this, please. Let's not um, let's not be too pious about it. <laughs> you know, it was great stuff, um, but, the, you know, they did get dock points. Um, Liverpool was six clear in the table, and it was like, just if they, um, you know, if they win this match, the league's pretty much done and dusted before the turn of the year. But I think Dalglish thought, actually, if we consolidate, if we can get a draw here, um, the league will be pretty done and dusted. So mm. He fielded six defenders. Arsenal like thrashed them. Like Paul Merson was was amazing. And suddenly it was like, you know, this this defence doesn't look so good if you start relying on it too much without piling players forward. Um, yeah. It's, you know, asking... Asking for trouble, really, and then uh, you know the famous, the famous sort of game is the four-all in the cup before he resigns. One thing that's often forgotten that was a big contributory factor in Liverpool falling away. I mean, they hadn't really, they weren't doing well in the league before Dalglish went. Once he'd gone, it was like pretty much all bets are off. They started losing a load of ridiculous games. But in the Everton matches, um, Ronnie Whelan got injured. Steve McMahon got injured. In the minute that they had no cover, 
in the, in the mid. With the minute they didn't have a midfield that could mop up the defence's mistakes, it was it was obvious what was going to happen. And Arsenal, in the end, coasted on. They did coast in there, didn't they? And then, of course, Doug Leach went, and that was the end of his. Uh, well, you know, glorious and at the end, punctuated by that horrendous tragedy. Six years at Liverpool and off he went and obviously came back at Blackburn and did what he did did what he did there and Sooness takes over and actually it's interesting there is a, there is a wonderful kind of passing of the baton in this season as well because this is when I think McManaman makes his debut in this season or is it the season after but McManaman and Redknapp appear Dalgleish goes Sooness turns up and there's something about this handing over the baton to, this, to the start of the Spice Boys period I suppose I mean, it's one of those things that you wonder what would have happened had Soonest managed to to steady the ship and sort of keep things going to the end of the season and managed to win the win the league. You know, would things be would things be very different? I mean, yeah, it's the sort of thing that I'm wondering about Jurgen Klopp at the moment. It's like if he'd have managed to win either League Cup or Europa League when he got to those two finals in the first season, his job is so much easier. Than yeah. um, than it is at the moment. Um, and could things be a whole lot different? And I'm guessing the soonest that <laughs> if you pull back the viewfinder, that all of the evidence suggests probably wouldn't be that wouldn't be that much different. <laughs> but it, but it's weird that but, but, you I've know, just done again, an entire what if scenario and decided it would be exactly <laughs> the same. Thank you. Well, well, my only thing, like I'm just I'm just thinking aloud in a very a pub bore away, but it's just <laughs> that he done so well at Rangers that people kind of write off um, that as like, oh well, that just happened, didn't it? But he did amazingly well to turn Rangers from like just uh, serial losers into the most dominant. T- I know he had a lot of money, but he still had to buy the right players. Yeah, Celta came back at him a couple of times, but he established Rangers really well. And could the aura around Sunus be a bit different if he was a more confident manager? Would he feel the need to come into the Liverpool, you know, the the, mm. of the next season to start, you know, sacking players willy-nilly, stamping selling. authority all over yeah. the shop? Yeah, yeah, he might not have needed to, you know, be quite as aggressive. Hmm. We'll see. Well, we won't see. So that was our little walk oh. to the Dalglish. Well, little walk. It was quite a long walk <laughs> to the Dalglishes. But you can't do in six years in one episode of a podcast with so much happening in it. Was a, there was always going to be a lot to cover. Um, can I just sign up with one thing about Dalglish? Yeah, which go. Is, um, if you just view the six sort of years as a whole and you look back at his whole um, his whole managerial career, he was... You know, one last-minute goal and two cup upsets away, really, from doing four doubles in five seasons. And it's just an, when that's you remarkable, back, isn't it? When you look at it, it, think of it like so, that. Yeah, I mean, it was an extraordinary period of dominance, anyway. I think, um, mm. but it was so so close to being, you know, you know, for that yeah, what I was saying, four doubles in five years. I mean, they were just they were just, they were just there in every competition. Well, the well, not the league cup, but you know the league and the FA Cup, the two main competitions. It's uh, it, you know they were just so strong under Dalglish. Do you think they'd have done anything in in Europe? That's it's an interesting question. I mean, the back end of the eighties, obviously, you would have had the great 
AC Milan side. Mm. And, you know, could that, I mean, that's a great fantasy matchup, isn't it? The 87, 88 team, <laughs> you know, against that era of AC Milan. But, I mean, there's, there's a couple of, you know, European Cup winners in there, Porto, um, mm. who, you know, the Liverpool double winning team would have played. Could they have won that final? Um, and, yeah, it was the old European Cup then as well, and, you know, just the champions of all each country. I think PSV won it in 88, didn't they? Yes. As, part, as part of a treble or a quadruple, I think, or something like that. Um, so there were some, re- yeah, there's some really strong teams about. But I think that 87, 88 team, I think would have. I think that team could have very least got to the final. Could have punched against anybody, basically. Yeah. Well, that's mm-hmm. one of. I mean, in in the the whole thirty odd whatever years I've been watching football, it's one of the probably the five best teams I've ever seen. I think it must have been amazing to be a Liverpool fan in that season. Just that, that feeling of just, right, we're just going to turn up this week and watch more goals and more wins. I mean, every well, club has it for a period, don't they? But Certainly that, especially, well, especially the first half of that season. I mean, I'm more predisposed to <clears throat> to the, the Steve Nichols, Steve Nichols fecund <laughs> uh, period, but I'm kind of obsessed by it. But it was just when, I, you see, I, everyone talks about the 5-0 over Forest as being the... Um, and what year was that in? In, in 87, 88. It was yeah. towards the end of that season and it was like, talks about it being that side, certainly that season's signature performance. And Tom Finney was famously quoted saying, it's the best I've ever seen any English team <laughs> play ever, which like, you know, the Liverpool merchandise people, you know, jumped on and you keep seeing that quote in the back of like videos and DVDs and things. But I still claim that the... Newcastle for one game. The Steve Nichol game is is is. I can, I, I can hear you doubling up with laughter. No, it's, it's just it's, it's more that you know when you have like you're weighing things up, pros and cons, and then basically you just lop the Steve Nichol hat trick in, and it just fires the pros into the stratosphere and can never be called back again. Well, it's it's just that like that was a real like it was like a mini manifesto. It was a statement of intent on live television right at the early stage of the season when no one really knew what to expect of that Liverpool side. And it was an astonishing, astonishing performance by someone you wouldn't think, well, this is odd. And, you know, the Forest thing was probably a better, you know, all-round team kickabout. But this was towards the end of the season. Like, they, everyone knew what was going on. It was just... yeah. It was great, but it was a different sort of great. And I think the first, there was more excitement and electricity about the first half of that season than than the second, Scott, which culminated in the Wimbledon defeat. Yeah, Scott's coming back on uh, next month, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> so if you want to let us know whether you'd like to us to dedicate the entire episode to an analysis of Steve <laughs> Nichol in the late eighties, then please let us know. Please never let this man on your podcast. <laughs> Not at all. It's signed been, to everyone. It's all fantastic. That'll do us, I think, for this week. Uh, thank you very much, everybody, for listening. Uh, please subscribe and tell your friends if you've enjoyed it. Leave us a review. We will be back next week at the regular slot again of Wednesday morning. We're a bit late this week for numerous reasons. Uh, thanks very much for listening, and we'll speak to you all soon. Goodbye. Sports Social Podcast Network.